he had his Greater Faith Conference this week. <clears throat> of course, I was watching it every night on, on YouTube. But the last night, he calls it Faith Life International. Other churches, kind of like, like we do with Creflo and them, churches that want to be part of their organization and come to get, they had that kind of that membership thing that night. And he said, before you agree to be a part of this, I want to tell you what I believe, or what we believe. And he started with critical race theory. He started with all these these things. And then he got into to the uh, greenhouse gas theory, or we call it climate change. But it's a theory. It's not proven. Anyway, he, he mentioned this website here, and I looked it up, C-L-I-N-T-E-L.org. Climate intelligence is what it's for. And I got to look, and there's 1,499 scientists here, not climatologists, scientists here. And they are they're from 15 different countries. And uh, they are starting to try to put out true facts about what's going on because I, I, the more I, I see and read I'm, I'm getting more and more convinced that the mark of the beast is going to have something to do with climate because everything that they tried to take away from us is stuff that they can't control you know the gas stoves the combustible engine they got to get those things that they can't control out of our hands and then you'll you know the big thing now is all these energy companies going to smart meters you know, they can tell how long your refrigerator runs, how long your freezer runs, how long your air conditioner runs. Well, it seems they give you a printout so you can try to reduce your energy, which is a good way to introduce it, but you know where it's going. You know, when you start overdoing it, they're going to start being able to cut you off and cut you back is, is, is the whole thing. So I, I, I just the more I see, because we talked about it's got to be something that everybody's going to accept pretty easily. And majority of the world has believed this this theory that that uh, uh, of climate, but anyway, I, I want to just bring out a few few things here uh, because I really got to thinking about this and looking in in, in the scripture. Uh, but before I get into that, I want, I want to give you a couple of things that they say. Um, that there is first when you see it, it's in big bold letters on this website. There is no climate emergency. That's the first thing they say. And natural disasters are not caused by climate change. In the last 500 years, the temperature has only went up 1.6 degrees in the last 500 years. And this is another thing I thought was interesting. I didn't realize we were doing this, but some of these European countries are putting some kind of chemical in the air to try to reduce carbon emissions. And they're saying that that is doing more harm than, than good. Anytime you start messing with God's balance you got you got trouble but this is what, what I, I got to thinking and, 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 and was and was looking if you go all the way back to Genesis God created the earth for a need for carbon <clears throat> all right what is the sun the sun is just one big combustion constantly that's all it does all right are they more plant life? Or are they more, and I call us, and I say animal life. Is, are they more plant life or are they more animal life on the planet? There's more plant life. So we have to have more CO2 than we do oxygen. But in God's brilliant plan, what happens? We breathe out carbon dioxide. The plants breathe it in and give us back oxygen. It's that exchange. All right? So, so we need more plant 
animal life and the plant life, the bigger the plant life, the more carbon they can consume, the better quality of the oxygen you and I have to breathe. See, the quality of oxygen in the Garden of Eden is way different than, than it is, is today. And so God set this thing up to be able to use carbon. You know, we're not, we're not, and I do believe we got to, we got to do our part. There's some chairs right there if we need them. Um, we got to do our part in, in, you know, in keeping the, the planet clean and doing our part. We're not supposed to abuse and, and take advantage of stuff either. We're supposed to do our part in there. But, but, the, but this is the, this is the, the bottom line thought that I, that, that I had about, about this. What is the devil's purpose? Kill, steal, and to destroy. So if you want to degrade and start tearing the planet up, what would be one of the biggest things you would need to do? You start reducing the amount of carbon we have, then the earth begins to have problems that it never had before. Do you, do you see the plan? See, then when you start looking at that, and you're looking at, at the devil's scheme worldwide, see... Then you begin to realize, hey, this is just another one of those frauds from from the devil uh, about a fake crisis to be able to tear down the world that that God has has created. And, and you need to go back and start studying, you know, Genesis and and, and those kind of things, you know, and, and it'll start relating on on how the earth was made and 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 why it does what it what it does. But I thought it interesting, you know, that that he's going after the very life force. Oxygen is not the life force. Carbon is the life force. Because without carbon, we don't get oxygen. See? Everything. The, Stop me now. When I get on this rabbit trail, I'm going to go too far. Um, everything is carbon. Everything. Which carbon dating, carbon everything. Thanks for cheers right there, Tamika. Physics is carbon and everything vibrating, how it attaches and all that good stuff. God made our bodies to heal itself and, and as, as we from birth to, to death and as we age and he also did that to the earth and if we leave the earth alone it will figure out how to fix itself how you know all the storms all the moon all mm -hmm. that but when we we do stuff to try to fix it like you said putting things in oxygen now we've altered what the earth what God did you know intended mm -hmm. to do mm -hmm. and that's what his website talks nature. about the cycles yeah. it, the, the earth goes from cooling to heating from cooling like I said healing it trying to heal it Heal itself. When we think we have a problem, our human nature is to first panic now and then try to fix it. And that's what, you know, somebody identifies something that they hadn't seen before or there's a rise in something and they think it's a problem when actually they should just wait and see. That's see? God do what he's going to yeah. do. Well, you think our 50, 60 years worth of data means nothing to the eons of time that have come before us. You know, it's 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 crazy how you add that up. All right. I remember thinking as a kid, when we were talking about. I mean, this goes back way back. I even thinking as a kid, if plants breathe in the, the CO two and puts out oxygen, and you're trying to cut the CO two down, you kill the plant. You're going to kill the plant. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking that as a kid. Now. Yeah. That's what I, mean. I think the whole thing is a plot. Up. I never could figure out why we keep pushing this. I mean, wouldn't the answer be just, you know, Even put a bush deserts, in the yard you know, and plant it in the house? You no. think of deserts being dry and desolate and bare and all that good stuff. Um, I'm stealing. I'll take it. <laughs> oh.
it's another way of God shifting. You think of different areas of your own body, different, you know, the sodium, potassium, all the variation and everything shifting where it needs to be so that one area can flourish where where you are shifting. You know, you think of all the salt mines and all that all the time. Now, how did salt get there? You know, we don't, I mean, from way back then, you know, that you know, it had to be some kind of source getting there. And, yeah. You know, it's, it's a shift there. That's it. But anyway, I, I thought that tie into this book because this, the book is talking about really destruction of the United States, but all this stuff is going in around the world, so it's really destruction of, of, of the whole world. Um, and Mark said y'all left off on page 74. You better fix all that because I might not have did too hard. Last week. <laughs> but we're finally getting into all these different demonic spirits that are, that are settling in different places. But the next three chapters are, are when you look at our society, and I don't know what Generation Z is, Generation X is, I don't know where none of that start. but if you look at, at 35 and below, you're going to see a lot of this stuff mirrored in that group of people that we're going to, going to be talking about uh, here. Uh, so was, chapter 17 was the entrenchers, about, that this, about how, how the sexual revolution has started, and because and, it's what... Sexual pre- Say it again. Yeah, there you go. That's what I'm looking for in there. And, you know, this goddess was the goddess of, of, of prostitution. And then on page 74, you see here that, that after Baal moved in, it allowed her to, to move in and uh, become the goddess of, 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 of the sex move. But I, I, look, I did some studies here. I looked up some information, and I started in the 60s because that's when all this started. In 1960, the average age of a person's first sexual encounter was 19 years old. Anybody want to guess what it is today? 13 today. 13 today. <clears throat> today, by 19, set... What, what, you're going to see this in all these stats I give you today. How it's, it's, it surprised me that the women, the lady population is way more crazy in this thing than the guys are. Hey, I, man, I never, I <laughs> you, wouldn't have, you wouldn't have thought that. You know what I'm saying? It, it, you know, because I'm a guy, so I, I don't look at it from that. It, by age 19, today, 70% of females have already had had sex, and only 65% of the males. Now, this was the stat that I think changed, made all that available. 35% of parents today say it's okay for their kids to have sex before marriage. And so when you start when you start getting it that way, I mean, it don't take, you know, when parents start, I, I know, I, I, I didn't say arguing ain't right, but, but I know um, this uh, lady and, and guy, they got, they got two kids, and they let those teenagers come to their house, and they provide them beer, whiskey. And their philosophy is, I can control them here, so I know they're going to do it. So if I if I control it here, then I know what. But them other kids that don't live here, they got to go home, you know. And she got her other kids on birth control. I'm like, won't you just open up a whorehouse? I mean, you ain't doing nothing no different. You know, I mean, I know it's blunt, but it's it's time we, Let's you know. Let's see where this goes. What y'all like on that one? 
<laughs> we might want to bleep this back out. But, but, but I'm just saying, you know, as parents, we, we enabling our kids, you know, and we think we're trying to do the right thing, but it don't, as I say, it don't make walking around sense, some of the things that we do. For our, for our, then they go crazy and they get in trouble. Uh, you, know, you know, one of the kids got, 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 got two kids. It's a guy. He got two kids outside of marriage. One of them lives with them, and, and the other one moves around with the other grandparents because neither one of them, the, the, their child or the other child, didn't want the babies. And now you got two babies getting raised by grandparents. I'm like, can't you, can't, how you, you know. It's easy though when you're in it not to see it, but people outside looking in see it different. But how 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 thick the blinders are getting on on, on American parents and all. I think one of the changes though in our time is me and you had a high school baby or whatever. We would just take the quit high school, get a job, mm-hmm. and take care of it. Whereas now it's encouraged. You know, it's a it's trying to be a. a honorable thing to say, oh, I'll hit you with a baby and you just go on and keep on going to school, you don't have responsibilities and then I'll just have another baby and, mm-hmm. and it, it's, that's what I see in real life, what people are doing right now. So, You're getting ahead of me. We're coming on the next page. Uh, Ishtar, uh, page 75. This is the, 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 the goddess. she got several names, uh, but we won't see her in, in the Bible here uh, because this book, if what's happened to the United States mirrors what happened to Israel when they when they walked away from God. These different uh, satanic or demonic spirits moved in. Ishtar, she was among the most. How do you say that word? I looked it up this morning. I forgot how to say it. And protein of the deity, she was able to modify her appearance or trapping to adapt to new peoples, cultures, and lands. In the Bible, she is called Ashtoreth. She's also spoken of in the plural, and her name was Ashtaroth. So I looked her up. She's in, in Joshua, Judges, and 1 Samuel. She had a lot to do with the, with, 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 with the fall of Saul, if you want to read them. And she's called by that, that name, Ashtaroth. As with Baal, that was the principal spirit that, that moved in once we started taking God out of school and everything else. So she was everywhere. She manifested in different forms, in different cities, regions, lands, and her idols could be found throughout the Middle Eastern world. In Canaanite mythology, she was connected to Baal and appears often as his wife. I thought about this, and this is, you can't do this when you get to heaven. But you know, sometimes when you you see what's going on... And you see what Adam does, so it makes you just want to just slap the fire out of Adam, Lord. You know? But then we realize we've done just as bad as he did. But then Israel, you know, all these problems that Israel had that we're having, God told them, we, we read this a few weeks ago, you know, God told them to destroy the Canaanites. Don't leave anything. Kill the cattle, kill every living thing. Don't leave nothing. Because he knew that 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 these these demonic spirits would hang around if those people hung, hung around. So so they didn't do it, and then they suffered, and and now they were exiled, like we talked about. Now, now they're they're coming back. That last paragraph says, "To the Greeks, she became Aphrodite." What is my time? At the same time, her young lover, the Dumzini, and Tasmus, which become the god Adonis. He's he's trying to go back and forth from the Canaanite god to the Greek god, and he's very confusing sometimes. And to the Romans, she became the goddess Venus. We've heard of that. Ain't Venus one of those? Uh, 
Yeah, we got stuck on that one. Aphrodite too. Ain't Venus one? What do you call it? If you uh, everybody got a sign. Zodiac, zodiac. Ain't she? Ain't she one of the zodiacs? Is Venus a zodiac? Is she? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. <clears throat> Thus, the planet behind the star of Ishtar would become named after the goddess goddess's Roman name. I'll read this next. We'll finish, finish this chapter. I'll give you some stats here. So we refer to her as a single goddess or spirit. Though her other names will at times appear in the book, the goddess will, off, will most often be called by the most famous of her Mesopotamian names, Ishtar. When Christian faith entered the Roman and Middle Eastern world, the goddess, along with other deities and spirits, were cast out. So Christianity pushed all this out. In an age that saw the covenant of marriage, as sacred and sexuality as a gift exclusively given and belonging to that covenant, a principality and cult devoted to carnal desire and unbridled sexuality could not be maintained. The goddess went into exile. But what if she came back? What if Ishtar was to return to the modern world and specifically to America? So I went and, and like I, said, I started in 1960s, in the 60s through today. In the 60s, 67% of the people were married. Only 4% of the children were raised in single-parent homes. Only 4%. That is one-tenth of 1%. I don't know. I couldn't find that stat today. I don't know if they, they try to hide it or what. So... And the divorce rate was, was 23%. Today, over 33% of people choose to live together and not get married. A third of, of back then, it, you didn't have, it, they didn't even have a stat in the 60s for it because it was, it went in the 70s when I was a teenager, late 60s, early 70s. Uh, I mean, living together was frowned on. You know, pe people look down on it. You know, they, you know, society kind of, especially if you was the lady of the thing, they kind of, kind of, you know, you know, you were down here on, on the on the on the rung of society. So what happened? Just like all these other laws we've seen change, the marriage law changed in the seventies. Before the nineteen seventies, you could only get divorced for two reasons: or adultery or cruelty, and it had to be proved. And both people had to consent, not just one side. That's why divorce was so hard. But in the 70s, the law changed, and now we hear terms, no-fault divorce. This is the other one you're going to know, too. Irreconcilable differences. Yes, all you... So when they put those two words in there, before, this started in the early 70s, so in less than eight years, the divorce rate went over 50% and has stayed. So just that one thing, because I don't like you today, I can divorce you over double the divorce rate, and it's kind of held. You know, people look at marriage nowadays like, well, we're going to try it. We don't like it. We can always get out of it. You know, there's, there's no commitment going in. And what am I saying with all this stuff? We're talking about the, the breakdown of society that's caused America to be where we are today. When we see all the things going on and we see all the problems going on, it all started back... With, with, in the 60s when we started taking God out of everything 
And then something's got to spill that, fill that spiritual void. And it's all these different spirits that we see today between our high schools, our government, our families. I mean, they, they, there's one in everything. And that's what this book is, is bringing about, that we begin to see how far in such a short time godliness has, has, has brought us to in, in, our moral, in our moral code in there. So by the end of the end of the decade, the divorce rate was over over fifty percent. So now today in twenty twenty one was the latest that I could find. In the sixties, the average person was nineteen years old when they got married. I mean, you get married, you, you you got out of school, you got a job, you got married. That's what you did. You know, I know some of y'all on that back row, y'all can relate. We got school, you get you get a job, you get married. Today, the average. Female is 28 years old when she marries, and the man 30. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. They're more mature anyway, but, but, but what you're going to see in these next chapters is what's happening from high school till they get married in the, is the problem of what's in the middle of all, all, all of that and what's going on in, in the middle of that. <clears throat> so I, I, after I, I read all that, I said, I was, Let's just take a second right here and see what has happened in the last 40 years, just so far in this book. We, ain't, we still got 10 chapters to go here in there. And see what pressure the U.S. is under. We see the effects of socialism. We see people that don't work. We see a whole group of people that think you owe them something. The government is responsible for fixing all their problems. We have morality problems, drug problems, family problems, economy problems, and general lawlessness in a 40-year period. And all that, you see all of that culminating, and then you wonder why, you know, when you start seeing these, because remember this, this is what I said way, way back in the beginning. When we take the Bible out, there's no standard. See, previously, and you still got it here in, this, in the South where we live, you know, if kids, adults don't have a standard, then there's no line to cross. See, that's why, look at the Old Testament before the law, see? That's why, why all these things, could these murders, you know, Cain killed Abel, but there was no punishment because there was no law against it. There was no law against it. Saying all these other things, but so as God brought the law to make the standard for society to learn to live by. So when we start taking that standard out, then we going back to anything goes. You know, there is no standard. The standard is whatever I decide the standard to be. See, but before then, you know how we were all raised. The laws of this nation, our families, everything was based on that biblical structure of what the Bible said. <coughs> Excuse me. And basically around around the Ten Commandments. Even back in the nine age, you know, we're talking, we're talking about the age of the woman getting married, the average is 30. Back then in college, you know, all the side courses and all the they encouraged. The, I mean, that was a big thing. That was sex and, you know, women's rights or whatever, or women's... <coughs> being able to stand on their own was driven. I mean, that, that was the whole the whole two years worth of, of classes. And uh, it, it was, you know, basically to the, the, get the girls that come in, I mean, what I said, that it was to beat down the boys and bring up the girls and teach them that they can stand on their own two feet 
And that ain't, I didn't say nothing wrong with that, but they was encouraged. But the biggest driver they had was a woman doesn't know her body until she's 30 years old. And, and I'm talking about, they, they talked about sex. I mean, I talking about everything about, and you know, they, it was a sex ed class in, in college and they really pushed it for, I know, a decade. I don't know what they teach now. It's not, they don't teach a fourth of what they used to teach. <coughs> But the thing was is, when you, they were trying to teach them when you get married, know a little bit more about yourself. But, uh, you know, I think that, you know, we, our shift is, is in, in, in a lot of that. I mean, because, sure. mm -hmm. because you think, I seen a, um, one of the, one of the, uh, I don't know who it was, one of the speakers talking about the percentage of, you talking about the home, the, the fatherless, what they call fatherless uh, marriages or single parent homes, and they brought the statistics from the prison, and it was like eight or ninety percent of in there, and they and they went back to, through the decades, and it went from like you said in the sixties where it was you know, one percent up to ninety percent, and, mm -hmm. and you know it takes a family to raise it mm -hmm. to make a family man. Mm -hmm. or a family we we had this class in the prison. Grandma is 50, all right? She's raising her grandkids, all right? Her grandkid has a baby at 14. That baby has a baby at 14. Now, Grandma is 28 on average, not 50 anymore. That changed the whole dynamic of what goes on. And how's the 28-year-old is still interested in their life, not in the little one's life? So in two generations, Grandma went from 50 to 28. Why did Grandmama, why did her child have one at just age 20, and then Grandbaby had a boy? I don't remember what age was right here. This, this one. Well, I when think it's how. Two generations. You just see, but you, I'm just saying, look at the level of maturity. How would you from raise grandparent your, to grandparent in, in one shot? How would you raise your grand grandbabies versus your children? I'm gonna tell you, mine nowhere near as strict as mine. But you know, and I think that's a, that's that's a flaw on me. Mm -hmm. But you know, he's in the same boat. The numbers are very. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm tough on my grand young. If I don't change, he's gonna be whooping my butt the next ten years. That ain't my job. I used to work for a pediatrician, and he used to say the worst thing is for grandparents to raise their children. I thought that is that's cruel, but now that I'm in education, I see it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Grand, yeah. A grandchild is a whole different yeah, thing it is. Mm -hmm. to you than. But I think if I was actually responsible, I, I, I may not be. But if if I was gonna do the raising, I I don't think it would I would treat them like I treat them now. I I treat them different because but but because of what I know about this right here. I would hope so. I don't know. I, I I've seen a lot. Gold. I've seen a lot. But I feel like I made a mistake the first time, and still I don't know. I mean, my mama looked really shameful. But the breakdown of the family dynamic is that and the sexual revolution is is the two biggest culprits that have brought our nation down. And then, uh, and, and, and one is the comfort of the other. You know, get sex, have sex anytime, anywhere you want to. It's what generated this. You and know, do you know yeah. a lot of those 14-year-olds lie about their age, say they're 16, 
Yeah. And these uh, young men think that there is a um, age of consent of 16 in the state of Alabama, and there is not. I, I wouldn't know about all that, but, I, but back I to Mark's because I had a lawyer tell me that. Yeah, back to Mark's point. I don't know what this percent is. I say it's easy in the seventies. The, the guys we got out here at the prison are, are, you know, grandma raised them or didn't have any raising. It's it's a real, real high percentage of those guys that didn't have a family, a family structure, and that's and that's part of what this fatherhood course that we we, we teach them tries to do: make them, uh, you know, help them see what's happening and what's going on and and if they if they are a father we try to get them help them make contact and start bonding with their kids or if if they a child at the father and everything we try to do it both 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 ways to to try to help because the worst thing about inmates is is society you know when they get out we don't give them a chance that is the whole problem, and that's why they end up coming right back because nobody don't want them, nobody don't want to help them. So what do they end up doing? They end up going back with the same people that, that they got them in trouble because that's the only people that'll accept them. See, businesses won't give them a chance. Everybody thinks that they're just murderers and rapists, and that's a very, 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 very small percentage of them out there. But but society is 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 really responsible for that coming back. All you know, so we got some three, four, five times out there. You know. Uh, because they, that's the only place they know that they can come. You know that, that they they know that life, and I can come to prison. I can get three cots and a hot. Is what they call it. Get three. Yeah, you know, get three. Home yeah, three. It's it's just a it's just. But a, now a lot of it too, big depends on if you want to change. That's right. If you don't want to change, and that's the thug life you want to live, then that's what right. you want to live. That's right. But and, if you're changing, mm-hmm. I feel like the society will see. Okay, well, I can see a change in this. Mm-hmm. Well. Some of the society. But the problem starts the first six months they're out. Not once, because they don't have a chance to prove their self. Yeah. You know, right when they come out, they need some kind of support, some kind of help, you know, somebody to, to believe in them a little bit to get them. Once you, once you can get them started early on, once they're out, that they, they, they'll be all right. But it's, it's them that don't have, in the state of Alabama, if you parole, you have to have a place to go. Okay? That's part of the parole. But if you EOS end of sentence, if you fulfill your full sentence, they take you to the door. You own your own. They don't care if you got somewhere to live. You ain't got nowhere to go. It don't matter. You see, that's the difference in it. You know, some of these guys that that serve the whole sentence, they walk out and they've been there 20, 25 years. The world is different. They don't even know the people they knew. They don't have no family. Nobody's visited. Nobody's talked to them. They don't know where nobody lives. You know, it's just. We have a few halfway houses, but it takes a different person to run a halfway house. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, because you, when you bring them in your halfway house, you're exposing your family to everything that comes with them. You know, and a lot of people, unless you call to God, a lot of people ain't willing to, to do that, you know, to put your family on the line uh, for that. Uh, mm-hmm. well, that's, just like, that's just like where I work at. I mean, it starts then. You know, we got. 15, 16 year olds, 17 year olds, you know, and, you know, I, I said you know, the most disrespectful youngs I've ever seen in my life, but it's because all they know is like street mm-hmm. life. They, they don't know. And the hardest part for me, Duke, was that way I was raised, I read because of my mentality. I always wanted to, to and I didn't realize, give them more of what they already had. You, you ain't going to talk to me like that. that you know. Uh-huh. But they used to, they, 
you're not getting anywhere. Right. They hear that all the time. Yep. You know, they you know, you, you got to find a different way to to respond in love to help them and break that ice because they used to that coming down hard, having to fight with you and fight for things. So, you know, you're giving them more of what they already got. You're not, you're not helping them any. It seems like there's things we want to do, especially like with the bus kids. I'll stop that bus and I, I, I'm trying to do better, <laughs> you know. But when I say sit down, I, 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 that's what I meant. Sit down. I didn't mean keep jumping seats, you know. <laughs> But you have to remember, like I said, you, you got to, the Lord help me love these kids, you know, and try to get something, <laughs> something in them. Well, you know, because like I said, if you just give them more they got, then they, oh, they're going to leave the bus mad with you and you ain't done nothing. You ain't helped them in, in any kind of way. I don't know about what, this church bus or, or the school bus, uh, you know. Yeah, because I'm, I took, I ain't telling you how many cousins. And, I, and when I say cousins, I ain't talking about just, I read you say the minor cousins were, I'm talking about some. What I call compound yeah. cuss words? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah compound cuss words. That's the thing that I'm, you know, that it intimidates me, but it's like I, I tell them, I just go in one ear and out the other, and they're just words, you know. And I look at them and I'll tell all of them, I love you like you mine, you know, and they. It's going to take love to break it. Oh, it will. It will. Well, part, it, of it is, part of it is that the society has gotten to the point that that's just language. They don't mm-hmm. even think about, I mean, that's just a normal way to talk. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, because some of them are carrying on a conversation not mad or anything, right. and they it just, just comes out of their mouth. Yeah, it's just know? every other word. I'm like, can you talk without doing that? Can you make a sentence without using those words? Probably not. All right. I mean, Chapter 18. <laughs> the Enchantress Returns, the God of Sexuality. Now, these next few chapters is going to focus on the sexuality of this nation, but when, when you get down in it, it is one of the biggest culprits that have caused the, the breakdown in, in society. Mrs. Bell, it was early on, soon after the Israelites settled in the land, that they began turning to other gods. The first record of its turning is found in the book of Judges. The passage speaks first of the Israelites' embrace, embrace of, of Balaam, or Baals, that's, that's the first god, our first demonic spirit, then it says this, Then they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtaroths, which are these the god of sexuality, this, this demonic spirit that settles in. From the beginning, the two gods, Baal and Ashtaroth, or Ishtar, were linked together. The connection appears later in the book of Judges. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroths. It appears as well in the book of First Samuel when the people realize the consequences of their possibly we talked about, about all, all that earlier in the I want to go to seventy eight on this next paragraph here. Read these two paragraphs, I want to make some points here. Baal represented the nations turned away from God into the physical, material, carnal, and sensual. It was this that opened the door for the entrance of Ashtoreth, or Ishtar, and which its unbridled sexuality, that next word means lack of moral restraints, and decadence. The worship of Baal had elements of all these things, but Ashtoreth was their incarnation. The one God ushered in the other, the one spirit the next, the God of apostasy, ushered in the goddess of sexual, say that word, and, and debauchery. 
What would this mean? I, I did. I got my phone down first, and I even wrote, and I, I forgot to write it under. I usually write it under there where I can kind of, I write my pronunciation crazy. I, I, I write them yeah, like I like hear them, not, not like yeah. phonetically correct. <laughs> Excuse me. What would this mean for America and the West? If America's turning from God began to manifest in the early 60s, and with it the entrance of Baal, we would then expect this to be followed by the entrance of Ashtoreth or Ishtar. And what would happen, and what would then happen in the wake of the entrance? We would expect a transformation to begin. It would alter the realm of sexuality. With the goddess entrance, we would expect biblical standards and ethics surrounding sexuality and marriage to begin to erode. We would expect the moral foundations and values that undergirded the Western civilization for nearly 2,000 years to begin overturning. In short, we would expect there would be a revolution in the realm of sexuality, a sexual revolution. We've heard that word. We'll drop it there. One thing I'll say, quick, I found this really interesting. Yeah, we got two bands now. I found this really interesting. We'll drive a stop down here. And it made me start start looking. You know, when, when, if you ever... You buy a car, you think nobody owns a car like that, then you get it, them kind of flashers come on. Everybody. And we'll get into this next week. And I hope I read this and it really ain't so, but they're saying when you go to, and you read this, I, I give you some stuff next week. When these teenagers go to parties, if a girl has her toenails painted white, that means she's ready for a relationship tonight. She's looking to have six so what's that i just think they're now when i walk all, all, week, all week every time i go every time i go to town i'll be looking up <laughs> see y'all next week <laughs>